Welcome back to Walking with the Chosen. I'm your host, Shay Keith. On today's episode, I'm going to be breaking down season two, episode one, Thunder. There's so much to cover in this episode, and I can't wait to get started with you because I want to talk also a little bit about the Chosen Roundtable when they discuss this episode. That will be at the end of this episode. So I can't wait to get started. Let's dive in and learn all about James and John. Welcome back. I'm so excited to have you here as I do another recap. It's been quite a while since I've actually done a recap of an episode since I put the interviews in there, but I really want to get back to this because we're still not done with The Chosen. We have seven seasons. We are just seeing season four come out in theaters, and I feel like it's still a chance for me to help explain some of the past episodes. If you are a major super fan like I am of The Chosen, I'm sure you've watched them many times as well. So I want to be able to share what I've learned, as well as share what I've learned about the Biblical Roundtable and their discussions. There was quite a bit in there that helped me even understand the show even better. So I can't wait to get into all of that. But first off, if you are a fan of The Chosen, please subscribe to this YouTube channel and subscribe in your podcast player because I want other people to be able to find it, other chosen fans. I don't get a lot of views on YouTube right now, so it's not really growing in YouTube. And I know I take full responsibility. I'm not 100% consistent when I release this episode, but it would still help to have people watch and like it on YouTube so I can help grow it there. And I'm not a big YouTube person. It doesn't matter to me if it grows there or not, but I do know that people are searching for more information about the chosen especially when season four gets released for free on the Chosen app, I'm hoping that people will start finding these episodes. Speaking of season four, I've seen episodes one through six so far in the theater. I saw the first three episodes uh, three times. I've seen the second set of episodes one time, but I am going back next week with some friends and I'll probably see it again before the 29th when the next set, the last two, come out. And I am going to do a special episode about it, but I'm not going to do a recap breakdown like I do for these other episodes. It's going to be more of what I got out of it, you know, high level and how I feel. So it will be full of spoiler alerts. If you haven't seen those episodes yet, do not listen to those shows yet. But I am excited to talk about it because there's so much that happened. And I know that some of you are probably going to be like, yeah, I need to talk about this too. Speaking of that, if you want to have a place to talk, come over and join the Facebook group, Walking with the Chosen. I will be starting some discussion groups in there soon, as soon as we get all these episodes released to the public on the Chosen app, uh, episode by episode. We'll go out there and we'll talk about it, and I can't wait to get more people in there so we can have these discussions. So come over and join the Facebook group. Also, if you have a Jesus story to share, whether it was because of The Chosen or if it was even before The Chosen or whenever it happened, if you like really knew that Jesus was calling you to him, he was choosing you, I would love to share your story here. Originally, my interviews were going to be based off of The Chosen, but as I'm learning, this whole walking with The Chosen isn't just about a TV show. This is about my experiences in my journey since I found Jesus. And I'm just like the characters in The Chosen and the disciples as they are following Jesus around. I mean, look at Shula and Barnaby and the experiences they've been going through the first three seasons. 
and the other outlying characters that we've seen. I mean, we knew about Mary Magdalene and the disciples, but Ramo is a fictional character. Like I said, Shula and Barnaby are fictional characters. Quintus and Gaius. Okay, Gaius might not be totally fictional, but you know what I mean. These people weren't just the apostles. It's not just Jesus. They all were having their own journeys as the show progresses. And that's what I've experienced. And that's why I shared in that recent episode about how I felt God was moving in my life in 2023. And he still is. He's still doing great, wonderful things. So I want to be able to just have somebody to come on and share like how God's worked in their life, because those stories are so uplifting for me, but also for people who listen. I think that's why I have several people that listen to the podcast. The show is growing and it's awesome that people want to hear, but I don't think they want to hear from me. They want to hear your stories. It helps us all come together on common ground to know how well God works in our lives. And I know you're out there. So if you're listening to the show, please reach out to me. You can send me an email at shay, S-H-E-Y, at walkingwiththechosen.com. Or if you would feel more comfortable just creating your own video and putting it sending an email format. If you upload it to YouTube and make it unlisted that's or private, so nobody can find it, but me and send me the link. And then I can share your story, just how like it side by side. So you'd see it here on the video. And that way people can still learn about your story. Cause I know that sometimes interviews can be intimidating for people, but I know there are thousands upon thousands of people that are uploading their video testimonies to the chosen app and to the angel studios app. And I want some of those here because I want to uplift people and I need the uplifting. I need to fill my cup with how great and wonderful God is and how he works in everybody's life on a daily basis. So please reach out to me and share your story. Like I said, we can either do an interview or you can send me a video and I would love to share it on your behalf. This episode is called Thunder, and this show really resonated with me when it came out, as probably they all do, but this one in particular, because I know at the time I was, I hadn't even been saved yet. I was on the verge, but I hadn't surrendered yet to Jesus. And I remember when I watched this show, the feelings I got from watching James and John and how Jesus describes their passion and when, when used for righteousness is a great thing. And I thought, man, how many times have I been kind of thunderous myself? You know, the passion just flows out of me and I've offended people or hurt people in my past. So I really could relate to their passion that is inside of them. And that's why I really like this episode. But I also wanted to say in this episode that the ending chokes me up. I can't even talk about it. Even just thinking about it right now, I can feel the tears wanting to well up in my eyes. I don't understand it. I have yet to this day read the Gospel of John. I've you know been working my way through the Bible one day at a time, doing a Bible in a year plan. And I've also done various scriptures and, and various books. I, mean, I went through Revelation, been through Matthew, been through, I think, all of Mark, but just different places in the Bible. And I just haven't got around to reading John yet. And the very first time I saw this was, like I said, before I was saved. And the ending of the show just, just, hits me so hard in the chest and the tears just fall. And it was probably one of the times I cried the most is watching this episode. And every time I watch it, it doesn't matter. I can watch just the end clip of the episode. It'll hit me. I have already recorded this episode once last week and I didn't release it 
because one, I felt like I was probably rambling a little bit too much, (laughs) which I tend to do sometimes, but I also just could not pull it together to do the ending. I mean, I was crying so much. I'm like, how am I going to do this ending? So I thought maybe I'd bring this up now at the beginning of the episode. And just to let you know that I'm hoping maybe I can jump over some parts at the end so that I don't get so tearful that I can't even finish my podcast episode. (laughs) I've got to do that second episode today for season four. So I got to keep myself together. But it is a beautiful ending. And when I saw the the biblical roundtable today, they pointed out the fact that when you start off with this episode, and I'll get into all the details here in a minute, but we know that we have, they're in the future, John and all the disciples. And you see Mary, Mother Mary talking to John. And she, she's just being very compassionate with him. Like, why would you do this now during Shiva? Because this is mourning for his brother who just passed away. And he's like, I've got to get this stuff all down. This is important. We're all together. We need to be able to talk about this right now because this happened, I just found out in this biblical roundtable, about 10 to 14 years after the, the disciples are following Jesus around. This happens between 40 and 44 AD that Big James dies. So they are probably, they've all been going out doing the, the Great Commission, trying to spread the word of Jesus, but now they're back to talk about Big James. And so he wants to be able to get all the notes down of all the disciples. And that's what's taking place. So Mother Mary, you know, she's asking, why are you doing this? And then she says, you know, there's not enough, even if you were to write everything down and all the books, the world itself cannot contain them. And then John says, oh, a disclaimer. Well, what I didn't realize since I haven't read the book of John yet, the gospel of John, was that at the end, that's how he ends his gospel is by saying basically the same lines. And that's how the show begins this episode, right? Even before they bring on the music to introduce the chosen. But at the end of this episode, we see the beginning of the gospel when he says in the beginning and the word, and yeah, I'm not even going to say it because it'll just upset me. <laughs> I can't even go there. But I just thought it was really beautiful how they, the, the writers, how they wrote this story to let's keep the bookends of the gospel, but put them in reverse into the chosen episode. So I think that's really beautiful. Okay, so let's get started talking about this episode. So the episode starts off and we see John talking to Simon. And you can tell they've got gray hair, their face looks aged. And Simon's like, well, you remember, you were there. You know, he thought he was going to go to jail for the Romans because he couldn't, he couldn't catch any fish. So he knew he had no money to pay for the taxes. Matthew was following him around in season one, taking all these notes. And he's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm done. I'm going to probably lose my boat, lose my wife. And here's Jesus that appears in front of him. And it's beautiful because they're all thinking back about when did we first meet Jesus? And of course, there's the typical chosen humor when we see Andrew come up and talking about John the Baptist and Simon gives him a hard time. So we don't really get to hear that whole conversation. We see him talking to Thomas. We see him talking to Matthew. We see him talking to Nathaniel, who hasn't even been introduced yet into the show at this point in time. So like, who's this guy they just brought up? So that was pretty neat how they were talking to all the disciples and you see how aged they are. They bring out Mother Mary and as you notice, they look really sad and dark and they're crying. And, you know, like little James even says, it's so hard to talk about this with all of you because you were there, you know him. It's one thing to go do the great commission and spread the word about who Jesus was to get other people to know about him. But that's not the same as telling 
your best friend who shared that relationship with you about what it was like with Jesus. You're going to cry on each other's shoulders. You're going to feel that compassion comes between the two of you or all of you in this case, the 11 disciples and Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene. So they all have that chance to have that coming together. So they're mourning big James, but yet they're remembering Jesus long after Jesus had passed away and came back to life. (laughs) So the reason why they all came together, obviously, is because of Big James. His death had taken place. That's in Acts. And what I heard in the Bible Roundtable, I'll just go ahead and bring this up right now, is that they were, the first seven days, everybody comes for mourning. You don't wear makeup. Your clothes are torn. You're in a time of mourning and even if you have a some sort of mirror reflecting device, you would cover it up and take it down or whatever, because to look into that is vanity. You're taking it away from the person who's passed away. It was very, very interesting to hear that from Rabbi Jason as he explained that. That's part of the Jewish custom. And he mentioned that there's seven days of mourning, and then the 30th day is important, and the one-year mark is also important. They also said that when he wrote this, it most likely, I mean, there's not a hundred percent proof that John, the disciple, is the one who wrote it, but they're assuming he is, and that he also wrote this on the island of Patmos. Which what else did he write on the island of Patmos? He wrote Revelation, which is the revealing of Jesus. And I thought that was really interesting. So I didn't realize that that's where he probably wrote it, but he was taking his notes. According to the chosen, he's taking his notes at this time and getting everybody together. So then you hear the rumble of thunder and Mary and John both look out the window and she's like, I can't even hear that without thinking of you two. So she knows the story. She knows why they have that name and it takes us back into time. And that's when they go back to what we consider current time of the chosen as they're still following Jesus around. And that's when the show really begins. So where we left off with season one All the disciples and Jesus are in Samaria. They just met Fontina. She was the woman at the well. And she was so excited when she realized who Jesus was. She wanted to tell everybody who he was. So now they're in Samaria. So now they're in Sakaar, which is a place inside of Samaria. And Samaria is not necessarily the safest place for Jews. And we see that throughout this episode, we can see how there's that feeling between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, the Bible Roundtable talks about this, but I also did research on this last week when I first recorded the show to understand why this happened. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm going through a year in the Bible. And I've been studying Kings and Chronicles. It talks about all the different kings and all the big mistakes that they made in their lifetime and why some kings were good and some kings weren't so good. The Jewish people split in two. We had Israel and we had Judah. So there was a king of Israel and there's a king of Judah. Now this is long after King David and King Solomon. But now we have these two sets and the kings of Israel were really bad. I don't think there was a good king in there that I can recall. And then we have the kings of Judah, who a lot of times were trying to follow God, but then they still wouldn't get rid of the Asherah poles, or they wouldn't take down these high temples that weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping somebody else. And the northern section, the Israel side, they were worshiping Baal. So you had these two totally different sides. And they're forgetting who saved them in the desert through, you know, Moses and Exodus. And when, after they got separated and they all start coming back together towards Jerusalem, the Israel people, a lot of them had started to marry in with the Gentiles. 
And they started creating their own version of Torah. And they apparently created, you know, they would only follow the six books of Moses. They didn't do anything else past that, which we know our Bibles are pretty thick. So you've got the six books of Moses, but then we also have the Psalms and the Proverbs, and we've got all the prophets, and we've got, of course, now New Testament. But there's a lot of stuff that happens that Samaritans apparently didn't do. They had 6,000 words that were different than the original Torah, according to what Rabbi Jason says. So their version is different and they're not even allowed to go into the temple in Jerusalem. They don't claim them. It's like, you're half Jews. You're not good enough for us. So there's that tension. You know, the Samaritans don't think they're good enough to be around the Jews and the Jews don't think they're worthy. You know, we don't want to be around those dirty scoundrels. They're terrible people. (laughs) But yet Jesus came to them anyway. And the beautiful thing is, as we see throughout the show, is we never see any miracles done, right? I mean, as he goes around talking to all these people, they're just coming to him. They're all wanting to just hear his word. The only thing they know is that he met the woman at the well and that she went and told everybody about who he is. So they go to the town and they don't know where Jesus is. The disciples are like, well, where's Jesus? You know, they're looking for him and they're thinking people want to see him. It's been a successful morning and people are converting and we just need to take him around some more. And they go into his room and find out he he slipped out. <laughs> and we know Jesus does this a lot. He needs to be by himself. He needs prayer time. And maybe he just wants to go visit the people in the town. So we see Jesus working on a wagon for somebody, fixing the axle. And the man even says to him that maybe you should consider opening up shop here. <laughs> Jesus sits up and he's like, shop. Hmm. <laughs> like, boy, that would have changed the whole world history if we didn't have a savior who did what he did first, but dying on the cross because he opened up a shop. (laughs) But then we see the disciples are going out to look for him. And Matthew's left behind. Thomas and Ramah show up with her father, Kofni, and they are ready to follow Jesus. Because if you remember back when they had the wedding feast, when Jesus turned the water into wine, he talks to Thomas, come follow me. And I guess Thomas decided to bring Ramah along or she wanted to go as well because she was there. She witnessed what Jesus did. But you can tell Kofni is not too happy, and he is the father of this young Jewish woman, and that wouldn't be very traditional to send your daughter off to follow this man, this man who says he's a rabbi, and these other young men follow him around. That would just wouldn't be, wouldn't be prudent. It wouldn't be appropriate. Mary Magdalene follows him around, but we also know that Mary had a very rough life and she has no family. You know, her father was gone, her mother was gone, and she latched onto these people and she believed Jesus. And we know they're good guys. But if you're not part of that group, you're not going to know how great a person Jesus is. You just see him as an outsider that somehow has some mesmerizing qualities over you or over different people, right? So they meet Matthew for the first time and Thomas and Matthew are off to a very rocky start. (laughs) And I like how the dialogue, how they interact later. And you see Thomas talking about how he's really good with organizing and Matthew, the look on his face, how he just kind of like, wait, what that, uh, you know, you can just tell he's processing thinking, no, I'm a good organizer. I'm good with numbers. Who is this guy thinking he's going to come in and help organize Jesus and his schedule? But the disciples finally find Jesus and they see that he's preaching to people. And Jesus is using the parable about, you know, who's a shepherd here? And man raises his hand and he says, what would you do if you lost one of your sheep? And he said, well, I would go look for it. And go, what about the other 99? He said, well, I'll leave them behind. And so you'll go off to find that one sheep. What will you do when you find it? And he goes, well, I'll put it on my neck and walk back. Maybe do a little jig or a little dance. And everybody laughs. But Jesus says, 
that that is the way it is in heaven, that when one sinner repents and comes back to Jesus, there will be much dancing and praising in heaven for that one person they saved. And I know, boy, I think about my turn when I got saved, makes me feel good to know that there was much rejoicing and praising and dancing in heaven because of my saving, you know, being called to Jesus. Can you imagine how all of us have been changed by God and what Jesus has done for us? There must be a lot of parting in heaven for all of us who decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> so they all go back to the place, the establishment where they're all staying at. Oh, and I forgot to mention at the very beginning of this episode, we've got the two boys, James and John, they're out working a field in Samaria and they're plowing this field and they're thinking there's so many other things I'd rather do than be around a Samaritan. And they plow this field and they don't really know the reason why they're doing it. They assume it's going to be for some future traveler. You know, we're preparing a way for the next person who comes along. So they work and do what Jesus asked them to do, which Jesus apparently does that a lot. And I've seen that now as we get all the way up to season four, you just never know what kind of task Jesus is going to ask you to do, which might seem very mundane and boring to us, but there's a reason why he's trying to do it. So he goes back to the establishment, Jesus and all his disciples, and they're all excited and they get to see, oh, Thomas and Rayma are here. And then Coffney reaches out to Jesus like, we need to talk. And Jesus is like, well, let's let's wait till the morning. You've had a long journey and I'm tired and you know, let's talk about this tomorrow. And then Jesus says, I need to go over and thank some men's hands for doing a great job today. Of course, Simon's like, well, I'll follow you. And they go over and open up the curtain and there's James and John eating, just stuffing their face full of food. And they're like, oh, hey, you know, <laughs> and Jesus says, well done, boys. And of course, he's like, you need to tell them what you did. Tell everybody about what you did today. And the look on Simon's face was just kind of like, you guys, like, what have you been up to all day? And so the next morning, all the people are out in town and James and John are the only ones that know what's going on. And that causes some contention between everybody because why do they get to know what's going on and nobody else does? And they're enjoying themselves because Jesus obviously told them what his plans were for the night. Everybody's talking about, well, maybe we'll go eat with this priest or maybe we're going to go eat with this person. And James and John are like, nope, that's not what we're doing. (laughs) So they stop and they ask Matthew to disperse the money that they have. And everybody's going to go buy some wine and some lamb and some spices and seasonings. And everybody has a job to do. James and John said, they're going to get out of town and get away from these Samaritans because they can't stand them. (laughs) And everybody goes off to do their thing. We see Simon getting some wine and the woman gives him an extra bag of wine because anything for him. She could tell that he is the Messiah. He is so worthy and she's ready to give anything she can to help his cause. And then we see the woman at the well appear and she has a special scroll to give to Simon and he reads it and he's like, everybody? She says, everybody, please. You know, she's so excited, like a little kid. I love her excitement. And he's like, okay, well, I'll pass along and we'll see what's going to happen. We see Rayma show back up at the establishment and she runs in, sorry, Abba. And she goes over to make some porridge for him. And he tells her she better get used to eating that because that's all she's going to get on the road. And then we see Jesus show back up and starts to have a conversation with Coffney. And Coffney's like, can we go somewhere kind of quiet? So we see Rayma standing there watching the whole whole thing transpire. And Coffney basically tells Jesus that I'm not a believer of you. In fact, what you're saying is on the edge of blasphemy. So he's not convinced Jesus is who he says he is. I really like the line that Jesus says to Coffney. I ask a lot of those who follow me, 
but I ask little of those who do not. I thought, wow, that's really impactful. And yet he's saying, I ask a lot of those who follow me. So he's asking for Thomas and Rima to follow him. He's not asking Kofni to, but is that a lot for a father to give up his daughter? You know, even though he's not the one following, he's having surrendered his daughter to Jesus and trust that he'll take care of her, right? You know, Jesus and Thomas and everybody else, they're all going to take care of her. And Kofni is like, okay. So he's asking a lot out of Kofni as well, in a sense, though, even though that line was said. But I still, I really like what he says. But I ask little of those who do not. So if you're not a follower, I'm not going to ask much of you. And I think a lot of you who are Christians on here, and I'm assuming probably everybody that listens to my show is probably a Christian, but I think you realize all the times that God's called you to do tough things, things that you weren't expecting to do in your life. I mean, even this podcast in a way is tough for me. It's hard for me to get it in all the time and to sit here and talk to a camera and wonder who's going to listen or if they're even going to care about what I'm creating. And that's that's a lot. I mean, it's it's uncomfortable. It's not necessarily natural for me to talk into a camera all the time. And yet I feel like that's something that Jesus called me to do. And there's other things that I feel like I'm being called to do. I'm actually getting ready to have something kind of amazing happen. I'll talk about that in future episodes once I know a little bit more. (laughs) But I just feel like God's working in my life and he's going to call me to do things that are uncomfortable. So he's calling for Thomas and Raymond to follow him. And it's going to be definitely uncomfortable for her dad. We see Kofni go over and hand a pouch to Raymond. She first is kind of acting like, no, I don't want this thing. And he shoves it into her hands. I'm assuming it must have been some money to take on the journey because they're not going to have lots of money out there. And then he walks off. And as he passes by Jesus, something I noticed when I was recording this episode that I never noticed before, Jesus actually mutters something. He watches them come up and approach. And he kind of looks up to heaven for a second. And you can just tell that he's hurting, I guess, watching a father and his daughter go through this process. And his eyes well up with tears as Rama and Kofni approach Jesus and then walk on past. And then he utters three little words, and it doesn't show up in the closed captioning. So we have no idea what he said. But there's something that happened right there. And I think that might be important. So she goes out and stands on the the road and Thomas is there and Kofni talks to Thomas and he's like, you know, I don't necessarily agree with what you're doing. You know, you can screw up your own life. You already screwed it up when you basically left my vineyard behind, but you've got my daughter. So take good care of her, you know, and that's basically how he leaves. He just says, keep her safe and he's gone. So Thomas and Rama are now going to be one of the disciples to follow around Jesus, which is beautiful, right? Then the next thing we see is all the disciples, they're going someplace and they end up at the, at the Samaritan's house, way out in the country somewhere in that field that James and John had plowed. And when they realize where they're at, they're like, this is where we're eating at? Somebody actually lives here? Because when you can see the house, it's kind of run down, maybe not really well kept. And this man comes out and he has a cane and he's like, so you're the ones who did this. And Jesus is smiling and he's like, yep. And he goes, I have no money. I can't repay you for what you've done. I don't even know why you did this. Aren't there people already like falling at your feet in town? Why would you come here? And Jesus knows he needs to capture his heart. Melek is his name. So Melek's like, I have nothing. I can't even feed you. I can't even feed my family. But Jesus is like, we've got that covered. And so everybody's holding up their food and they have a dinner together. And his wife and daughter come out and they're all sitting around. And you hear Simon telling stories about how they first met Jesus. And 
Then his wife asks a really important question. And I think it's a question we hear a lot in this world. If God is really there and so great, and are you going to come here and lift all of our burdens and take away our pains? I think in, in one sense, it's almost like she's asking, if God is real, why do we have broken bones? And why do we have all these issues? And and Jesus turns to her and he's like, you know, I am bringing you the kingdom of God. But in this world, bones will still break and hearts will still break. And I think that's such an important lesson. And I highly recommend if you haven't watched the Bible Roundtable to watch it, because they do talk about that quite a bit. It's one of those big questions that everybody has on their mind. If God is so great, why does he allow evil in the world? According to Dallas, that's one of the number one things that is Googled when it comes to God. And I think it's a really great question and one that we all need to wrestle with so that we have a good answer when we're asked that question, when we're trying to spread the good word of Jesus ourselves. And I do not have a great answer for that. I've heard many answers, but nothing has stuck with me so that I can turn around and, and just spit it back out at somebody if they ever, if they approach me and question me. I'm like, uh, you know, but one thing that was said in the round table, it was really, really good is remember that God came down in human form as Jesus. He that's humiliating. He left his beautiful throne in heaven to come down here and he faced evil and he allowed evil to kill him and put him up on a cross. That's what evil did to God, killed his only son and took our place so that we didn't have to pay that price. And that is something that if I can just remember that in my head in the future, I think is a great thing to say to somebody when they have their doubts, why would God allow evil? So she's questioning why these things happen. I'm guessing she probably knows why her husband has a broken leg. And Jesus is asking him about his leg. And why is it broken? Oh, I got thrown off a horse. And Jesus is like, well, I didn't see any pasture here. And he says, well, it wasn't my horse. Oh, a friend's horse. Yeah, okay. And he's like, no, it wasn't a friend's horse. And that's the cue that the wife and the daughter are like, well, time to go to bed. <laughs> they take off. <laughs> and Velik has to, boy, you know, reach down deep inside and open up and tell this man, this rabbi who's come to be so generous, brings them his big meal, plowed up his field. And now he's got to tell him the truth about what a terrible person he was. He was a man, a Samaritan who beat up a Jew and he and a buddy were going to rob him, steal his horse. You know, they were broke. They had no money. They were trying to survive. There was a big famine or drought. I think he said it was a big drought that they had in their town and there wasn't any work. There was no money. So they, they decided to do this evil thing. And he felt bad because he pretty much assumed this Jew died. We took his clothing, his head hit a rock, he bled out. And I left a dead man there. And you see the look over at James and John and the look on their face is just, horrific. Like we did what for this man? And he's this horrible human being that killed a Jew. And you can even see it among all the disciples. I mean, they're all just like, where's this leading? Can you imagine being there with him sitting there? Like, why would Jesus bring us out here? This is, he wants to save this guy. And as he continues to talk about his story, Jesus is like, that man didn't die. And Malik's like, what? He's like, he didn't die. And he goes, are you sure? And she's like, yes, I know. And you see the tears well up in Melek and he just is overcome. And he's like, you know, the, what a relief that he didn't kill somebody. Yes, he, he admits that he robbed this man and stole his horse and his clothes and everything else. But at least he wasn't dead. 
So he repented to Jesus. He tells him, he confesses his sins right there to Jesus. Jesus must have known his heart. And he's like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, what do you want from me? And Jesus is like, I just want your heart. Go back to synagogue, read Torah. He goes, well, I don't know how to read. And he goes, and listen to the word and let it work on your heart. And I thought, wow, that's so beautiful because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to read the word, read our Bible and let it work on our heart. Let it convict us. Let it change us. Let us understand that we need to repent from whatever sins we're living in the world and try to become something more like he wants us to be. Follow his will, make us a better person. And I just thought that was really beautiful. And I, I know, I mean, the chosen, a lot of these writers in, in Dallas, they're all evangelicals or Christians, they're saved or born again. So they're speaking from somebody who knows the Bible. So it's probably easy for them to come up with the right words for the Good Samaritan, right? Well, he's not the Good Samaritan, but he's the Samaritan in that whole story. Because we do know a Good Samaritan came along and he was the one who took care of the man and made sure he was fine. So we had the Bad Samaritans and the Good Samaritans. And again, back to the Bible Roundtable, one of the things they mentioned was that the only place you hear about the Good Samaritan parable is in Luke. The other Gospels don't cover it. But what's really interesting is, according to what he said, there is no reference of it being a parable. Jesus doesn't say, like, here's a parable for you. He just shares the story. So maybe it was a truthful story. Maybe Jesus really did meet this guy and shared the story and shared it to other people in the future. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I love how they do things like that, how things just overlap and overlay and intertwine. And I never would have known that. I mean, I haven't read Luke yet either, so I haven't got to all of that. I've read parts, but not all of it. So I don't know that I would have picked up on the fact that Jesus doesn't call it a parable. So I love the story. I love how they show us what might have happened with that Samaritan to do what he did to the Jew and then why another Samaritan would come along and save him. So Melek wants to know, why me? Why did you come all the way out here to save me when you had everybody in town falling at your feet? Which I mentioned this earlier. And Jesus is like, the shepherd leaves the mountain to find the one lost sheep. And that's when he tells him to go back to synagogue and do all those things. I also heard on the Bible Roundtable, it was really good. The priest actually mentions this about how people run from God all the time. We don't want to follow God and do all his commandments and do whatever. So we run from God into the arms of Jesus on the cross. And it's almost like God's up here and Jesus down here on earth, right? And so we go from here to here and Jesus wraps us in his arms and saves us. It's like, wow, that was so powerful. Not something you're going to see on The Chosen, but you will see it in the Bible Roundtable. <laughs> so they all return to town. And this time they're going to Fantina, Fantina's house and her husband, Nariah. And they, you saw Nariah a little bit in this episode, but you also saw him in the last season because he was the one that tore up her divorce papers. She wanted a divorce from him before she met Jesus. And he was like, nope, tears it up, throws it in the fire. And she's brokenhearted. He won't give her a divorce. But now we see why, because now she's met Jesus and she's back with her husband. He says he's dying anyway, but at least they're together. And I think that's the most important part. And he walks into the house and mentions that there's ghosts in one of the room. And Jesus is like, I'll take that room. <laughs> and Andrew's like, yeah, I don't want to go in there. <laughs> and James and John and Jesus are all sleeping in the room. And in the morning we see 
Melek jump up out of bed and he's all excited. And his wife's like, Whoa, you know, she's freaking out. And the daughter's like, what is going on? And he starts jumping up and down. And he's like, my leg, my leg, my leg is healed. And he's so excited. And she's like, it was him. He did this for you. Wow. I mean, geez, that'd be so amazing. And Jesus sees that in his mind, he opens his eyes and he's kind of chuckles and has a smile on his face. And John wants to know what, what are you so happy about? And he tells him, you know, Melek is walking that's got to be a powerful story. And so now we they do their their prayer, their morning prayer, which I need to go research that some more because that is a traditional thing that Jews do. They have different prayers that they do all the time. And it, I thought it was beautiful asking God to restore their soul and their body when they wake up. But Jesus also told James and John that they'll be able to do things like what he did for Melech and even more so. And they're like, wait, what? Can you back up and say that again? <laughs> and he goes, in time, you'll be able to do a lot of the things that I do. So now they're excited. They're thinking they're going to get some superpowers like Jesus has. (laughs) And then they go off to start their day and Jesus leaves and everybody's trying to plan whatever, where are we going to go? And what do we have left to do today? And who are we going to see? All you they got to get all the stuff, right? And they know they probably should be leaving soon, but who are we going to go spend our evening with before we leave town? And James and John are trying to control the situation because they think they're the new leaders. We're put in authority and we get to decide what Jesus does. But that doesn't go over so well with everybody in the group. So they get upset and basically walk out. And right before he left, I love this because John says, well, I'm just tired of arguing every morning about where we're going to go. And Thaddeus just quietly says, well, then don't argue. (laughs) Great advice, right? So they, they walk off to go find Jesus. Rabbi, we need to talk to you. And he's like, you couldn't even wait. And right at that time, Samaritans show up and they're throwing rocks and they try to spit on him. And James is about ready. I mean, Jesus got his arms up over both of them. Like, don't move. Don't say a word. And of course, James is like, try that again and see what happens. And James is like, quiet, big James. And they spit and they walk off. And boy, James and John, this is when their passion really comes out. They're angry. They're like, what did they do to you, Jesus? They want to stand up for Jesus because they love him so much. And they're following him around and they respect him. And those dirt, you know, no, no good, dirty scoundrels, they need to just pay for this. And we'll send down lightning from heaven. And yeah, James will say, fire from heavens. We'll just destroy these people. And Jesus is like, Really? <laughs> are you guys crazy? And so he calms them down and reminds them that the reason that they are there, he asked them, why do you think I had you plow that field? And they're like, we don't know. We thought we're good. (laughs) He says, what I'm trying to show you is that we're planting seeds. We came here and didn't do any miracles up until Melek. But, you know, for the first part, he didn't do any miracles. People were still coming to him. They knew he was the Messiah. They just believed him. And obviously that's what we have to go through in our timeline is that we don't necessarily see miracles. Some people do, but not all of us. We don't see miracles, but yet our faith, we still just believe on who he is. And he's saying we're spreading these seeds and this will last for generations to come. <laughs> so he's like, what am I going to do with you two? He says, you have thunder radiating from your chest. So I think that's a good name for you. The sons of thunder. Strong passion can be a good thing when channeled for righteousness. The priest of Sikar shows up with the rest of the disciples and they're kind of like, what happened up here? Oh, nothing. (laughs) And the priest invites them. We request you to come to our humble synagogue. 
and speak. And of course, Jesus accepts the invitation. So they go to the synagogue and they have to pick out one of the scrolls to read. And there's only the six, as I mentioned earlier, Samaritans have different scrolls. And again, I found this interesting from the Bible Roundtable because there's people that know that those scrolls would have been reverent and sacred. But would Jesus have actually read from one of their scrolls since it wasn't the true word from the Hebrew line from Moses? This was something that's been altered. It's not the same thing. So I guess some chosen fans commented about the fact that he touched the scroll and, you know, that would be considered unclean. And Rabbi Jason made the comment that he said, with scrolls, you really do want to keep them pristine because the oils in the hand could smudge a letter. And if even one part of a, the character's gets touched or removed, it could change the the meaning of that particular word. And they were so particular about reading scrolls that they would have a person that would follow along word for word and call it out if you spoke incorrectly when you were reading the Torah, because the scrolls didn't have any vowels in them. And there was also no spacing between the characters, the words. So they would draw a character out and that would be a word. And here's a word, here's a word. There's no vowels. So they have to make sure that they're saying everything precisely. And they use that pointing device. And I forgot the name of it. They mentioned it in the round table. An alb, I think is what's called. But that's why they use that to touch the scroll so that their skin doesn't touch it and smear it and change or alter it in any way. That's according to Jewish custom. And Rabbi uh, Jason even made the comment that even today, if a Jewish leader says the wrong words, they're called out on it immediately. Like, no, that's not what it says. It says this. So that's fascinating. Have you ever done that to your pastor? I've been following along and sometimes there's been a few times where my pastor might skip a word or say the different word. Pretty much he's word for word, but there have been occasions where he's missed something or mis- mispronounced it or things like that. But I wouldn't be like, Pastor Nick, that's wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't want to call him out. <laughs> you know, like you don't want to be that person that gets called out. So you wouldn't want to be the one saying anything to your pastor and offending your pastor in the congregation. So I thought that was really interesting that they're so picky about the Torah, but would Jesus read that particular one? And which one do we see that he chooses? He chooses the beginning, Genesis. And apparently that is the least contested of the scrolls between the Samaritans and the Jews. And then you see that conversation, the dialogue between John and Jesus. And Jesus is teasing the whole time, like, maybe I should read this because this is the bad thing the human did. Or maybe I should read this because this is the bad thing the human did. And John's like, I get it. I get it. I know. I'm sorry. You know, he's, I'll work on that kind of thing. And, and he asked John to help him pick one. And John's like, I don't feel very much worthy to pick one of these. And Jesus says, well, who is worthy? John looks at him, says, you. And he says, I'm just a man, John. Or or John says, not any man, apparently. And Jesus says, I am a man, which is true. Jesus is God and he's in human form. So he's a man. But then John's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, you're kind of different. And then Jesus comes back with, I am who I am. And those words are so important. And I, again, I go back to the biblical round table when they were saying that in John's gospel, he uses those words seven different times in his gospel. 
And maybe when John wrote his gospel, he wanted to make sure that that was really brought out, that people really knew who Jesus was. He is God. He wasn't just a prophet. He is God. And I think that's so important. And that's why he probably began his gospel the way he did about the word. And the word was with God and the word is God. And he left us his word in the form of the Bible. And so when he says those words, I am who I am, you need to go back to Exodus chapter three to see what was said. This is verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Jesus is now fulfilling that prophecy of Moses and saying, I am who I am. And those words are so profound. He is announcing to John, I am God right then. Wow. Can you imagine being in John's shoes, hearing that and just like, poo, <laughs> nuclear explosion goes off and your hair goes back and you're like, oh my gosh, this <laughs> You're God. So I find that fascinating. And I'm curious to hear how this is going to play out in the future because there's scripture that happens later on where we see Jesus talking to the disciples and he asks all them, Who do you say that I am? And it's not John. He's not the one that comes out and says, You're the Christ, you're the Messiah. So I find that interesting. And I'm going to have to wait till a biblical roundtable comes out in the future so that we can hear how all those pieces come together because I'm kind of confused on that, but that's biblical. I mean, you do see, he says this in one place and you see this, he says it in another place. And how do all these gospels intertwine so that there's makes perfect sense. They were all different writers. So we know that there was different viewpoints and different ideas when they wrote their words. So I'm just curious to see how the chosen puts all that together. So the congregation is getting a little bit restless and they're like, hurry up in there. And John's like, in a minute. And then he realizes how he was being so abrupt. He's like, in a minute. (laughs) So he has to be a little bit nicer, but he goes out and they pick out Genesis and Jesus starts to read from it. And this is the part that usually just makes me cry profusely. So if I make it through this, I'll be doing really good. But it's just the way that John finally has the words to share in the opening of his gospel. And like I said, I don't know why these words stir so much emotion in me, but it, like I said, the first time I watched it and every time since just major, major tears. And it just is so beautiful and so special. I think the way that he chose to write the opening. So John finally has the beginning of his gospel. We know he's already got the end of his gospel. And then there's the stories that he writes in between. And I cannot wait to get into reading the gospel of John one of these days so that I can really pick it apart and understand it and bounce it off the other gospels so that I understand all of it a little bit better. <laughs> so the last few things that I got from the biblical round table, we talked about Shiva, which is pronounced Shiva according to Rabbi Jason, but in the show, they call it Shiva. And I mentioned how they have the seven days, the 30 days, and then a year mark um, as to how they mourn the deceased. One of the things I didn't really mention is that John's gospel actually helps us understand Moses and all the prophecies because they kind of intertwine together. Again, it goes back to, I am who I am. That's really important. It's probably something I need to dive into a lot more to understand it completely myself, but 
you have Moses and he talks about certain things and we have, you know, however many prophecies are in the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy, which they say is mathematically impossible unless you're God. So again, that just points to Jesus being God. Samaritans didn't have rabbis, they had priests. So that's why it was the priest of Sakar who came to Jesus and asked him to speak in their synagogue. They do have synagogues, but as I mentioned, they weren't allowed to go into the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. So that was a bone of contention for sure. And one thing that I really liked, this is the last comment I'll bring up because I pretty much mentioned all these other things about the Bible roundtable, but Dallas talks about suffering and how important it is that we suffer. And we've had the priest, he gives his viewpoint on suffering because Catholics really believe that suffering is a part that draws us closer to Jesus all the time. We sacrifice, um, you know, all the sacrifices that you make in your life is a form of repentance for Jesus. And, And these are things I remember from when I was a Catholic. So suffering is a very big part. And the more you suffer actually is like a better thing to bring you closer to Jesus. But the way Dallas talked about it, he said, through suffering, we're drawn closer to Jesus. He says for himself, when he goes, great, if things are going really good for him for a long time, he loses that closeness with Jesus to the point where he becomes self-reliant and he doesn't need Jesus as much. And he said, that's what happens to him. And then he starts to stray. So it's important that we find ourselves constantly going to Jesus. And one of the things that I heard with the morning DJ, I listened to Sirius XM. There's a channel called The Message, and it's all Christian music. And she said something today on there that said, we need to praise God in all circumstances. And when times are good and when times aren't so good, we need to constantly praise him in addition to praying to him. But just thank him. Thank him for our lives, even though we might have lost somebody close to us or we're, we're struggling through a hard time in our life. We still need to make sure that we praise God. God loves our praise. He wants to be worshiped and loved by us. It's so important. So we need to try to stay as close to Jesus the entire time, as close to God as possible while we're here on this earth. And I hope I can remember those words when I have to face my next future struggle, because we know they're all going, we're all going to have them until the day we die. There's going to be struggles. We're going to have our ups and we're going to have our downs. And we just need to continue to praise God. And yes, it does bring us closer to him when we suffer, but we also have good moments that we can be like Barnaby when he runs up and gives Jesus a great big hug and other people that have hugged Jesus. I'm like, man, I want to be one of those people that gets to hug Jesus like that someday. (laughs) Okay. So that's all I have to talk about in the show. If you like the show, please again, remember to like and subscribe and spread the word, share it with your friends and family and say, Hey, I've been checking out this podcast. If you're a chosen fan, make sure that you find this episode or find the series and just be part of what we're trying to create here. We just want to be able to reach people and show God's love and and get people closer to Jesus. And this is the way I feel like God's asking me to do so. And you can also join my Facebook group because we're going to be talking about season four very, very soon. There's that word again. (laughs) And we'll talk about season four and help everybody get ready to get closer and closer to season six, which is going to be the hardest season ever. I'm quite sure. So my next episode actually is going to be season four, talking about the first three episodes, lots of spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, just bypass that for right now until you have a chance to watch them. And then I'll get back to doing the next recap for season three, or maybe I'll do 
season four episodes, four through six. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I haven't got that far. <laughs> One step at a time. So I really appreciate you being here and listening or watching the show. I really do appreciate it. It means so much to me. And I hope that God is doing amazing, great things in your life. And if you would like to share those, join the Facebook group and share how God's working in your life. Even if it's just a quick text. I just like to hear that. What is God doing? We need to know more about God and stay close to him as much as possible. So that's all I have for this episode. I will talk to you next time. And remember to keep walking with the chosen.